Mark chapter 3. We're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 6. But I'll read a little more. So Mark 3 and verses 1 through 6. Again, he entered the synagogue. And a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with a withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and, and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all he was doing, they came to him and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. How would you feel if I was to tell you that Jesus is in the room next door? If you've been here before, you'll know just down the corridor there's a room we meet for coffee. If I was to tell you that after the service, he will be there waiting. How would you feel? I mean that almost literally. How do you feel at the thought of walking through and meeting him? My suspicion is there'll be a range of reactions. Some of you will be wanting to get there right now. Why are you bothering with the sermon? Why are we singing? Let's just get on there. But actually for many of us, there'll be a degree of hesitation, a degree of fear. We wonder what kind of a welcome we'll actually receive. And very likely that's going to be triggered by some knowledge of ourselves. We fear because we know that he knows. He knows what we're really like. What would it be like when I go into that room and he looks at me and he knows what I was up to last night? What would it be like when I go into that room and he knows how I've spoken to my family this week? What will it be like when I go into that room and he knows the state of my personal devotions, my prayer and, and, and Bible reading? What will it be like when I go into that room, I meet Jesus and he knows the state of my heart? My soul. We know the right things to say. We sing the hymns about longing for Jesus to return or how going to meet him will be a heaven of heavens to us. But many, in fact, I'd say most, and perhaps even all at some point, have a sneaking fear of meeting Christ. And that's why Mark 3 is such an encouragement, balm to our souls, this Sunday morning. Children, do you 
Follow the story. It's a simple one. Uh, Jesus is in the synagogue, a bit like church for the Jews. It's the Sabbath, the day of worship. And there's a man there with a withered hand. And the first thing we're going to see this morning, just two things very simply for us this morning. The first thing we're going to see is that Jesus is welcome for the withered. Welcome for the withered. Children, a withered hand means a kind of shriveled hand. It's a word that means dried up. It's used elsewhere in the Bible to talk about plants that have kind of dried up. I don't know if you've ever had a, maybe you tried to grow a, uh, a tomato plant or something in the, in the backyard and you've forgotten to water it and slowly the leaves have gone kind of crispy. The tomatoes themselves have turned from red to yellow to kind of brown. It's lost all its life. It's gone kind of crispy. Well, that's the idea with this man's hand. It has shriveled up, withered like a vine. Uh, it is dry and totally useless, therefore. He is not able to use his hand. That's the idea. So again, children, for this man, there's no playing tennis or throwing a ball or writing with a pen or whatever they used in those days. His hand is useless. And as with all the stories of Jesus meeting people in the Gospels, his physical problems, his physical dryness, shriveled hand, is a picture of what we're all like spiritually at least naturally before we come to Jesus Uh, this story is not just about we might even say not primarily about Jesus ability to give physical healing much as Jesus is able to give physical healing but rather about what it teaches us about Jesus's ability to deal with withered souls so as we look at this man we should identify with him not because of any particular physical problem you're having at the moment, but rather because for all of us, we remain withered in many ways. Perhaps it's an area of your life. For this man, it was his hand. Perhaps there's an area of your Christian life that you know is is dry and shriveled, a besetting sin that you don't seem to be able to beat, a pattern of behaviour you just can't escape. Uh, Maybe it's more central. It's your heart or your soul that you know is dried up. Again, many, if you read the Psalms, perhaps most at some point in their Christian life at the very least, will walk through a time where it feels, well, it feels like God is far off. Or to put it the other way up, it feels like our souls have just dried up like that tomato plant. You know what you ought to do? We sing about what we ought to do. We can still talk about it in home group. And yet deep down, there's a sense of guilt and fear. I'm not like everybody else at church. He seems so on fire for the Lord. I'm not like those in my community group who seem so holy, so keen, so switched on. I keep hearing that I'm meant to be desiring God. And yet my soul is so icy. And for others of us here this morning, uh, we we just flat out know we've not yet trusted Jesus. Uh, If that's you, then we want to say week by week, we're so glad you're here. I hope you feel very welcome among us. But this withered man is a picture of you too. And actually of your inability 
to trust Christ, your inability to sort your own heart or soul out. It is not your hand that is with it, but your heart. It may be that you've been around Christian things for a while and you just, you just can't seem to believe. You, you almost want to to some degree, but it just, you just don't ever seem to quite feel it to get it. Well, that is because your soul, your heart, your mind are withered. And that's, again, why this invitation is such good news. Children, do you see what Jesus says to this man? Verse 3. Come, come here. Come to me, said Jesus. Come here. Uh, there's opposition. Verse 2. They watch Jesus. That's particularly those who are, are looking to get Jesus. It's the Pharisees. And they are, well, they're convinced that Jesus ought not to be doing any healing on a Sabbath. The Sabbath day is a day when we don't do any work. To heal someone is to do work. So reason the Pharisees. If Jesus does a miracle today... He'll be disobeying God, breaking God's law. Jesus knows that opposition is there, and he still says, come. It is more important to Jesus to heal this man than please the crowds. He's more interested in the person than he is in his own popularity. His desire to save is greater than his desire for his own safety. At this point, already we're seeing that Jesus is very different, or very different from anybody else. In particular, there are, there are two real ways, two other main ways uh, that human beings down the centuries have dealt with sin, have dealt with this withering of the heart and the soul. One is the Pharisees. We see them there in the passage. We see them throughout uh, Mark's Gospels, all the Gospels, uh, in fact, the Pharisees are the super religious, the kind of old school religion, if you like. And for the Pharisees, there is no hope for mercy. There is no hope for mercy from a Pharisee. Pharisaism is about law keeping. Sort yourself out. If your soul is withered, that is your fault and you better fix it. I've been away for a couple of weeks. First week I was down in... Actually, I'm not going to say where, because I don't want to incriminate a particular place. I was down south uh, and uh, helping on a kids' camp, and it took place in a school. Uh, and in the corridor of this school, uh, there was a notice board. It was made by a teacher who put a lot of effort into it. Classic kind of primary school age notice board, very colourful. Uh, and on the top of the board, it said, meet the person responsible for... And then in colourful writing all over the board were all sorts of different words... So meet the person responsible for uh, your success. That was your behaviour, your choices, your happiness, your attitude. And on it went. Meet the person responsible for your happiness, your success, your attitude, your behaviour, your choices. And who was the person? What was the picture? Well, in between all these words, they'd stuck on the board a mirror. You are responsible. Sort yourself out, kids, was the message. Now, I'm not a teacher. Maybe that works in a school context. No judgment here. But that is, that is not the attitude of Jesus. That is the attitude of the Pharisees when it comes to sorting ourselves out before God. You are responsible. You sort yourself out. You see it throughout the Gospels. Don't touch the leper, the Pharisees say. 
keep the, the little children away from Jesus. In general, what they don't want is sinners coming near to a holy God. The only way you can get near God, say the Pharisees, is if you clean yourself up. No hope, no mercy. And see what that provokes in Jesus? Verse 5. He looked around them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. It makes Jesus angry when sinners are barred from coming to him, when we put obstacles in the way of getting near to him. That angers Jesus because he has come for the sinners, for the shriveled. What if the old religion says, try harder, do more, you are responsible. We live in times, a kind of modern religion, I guess you might call it, that says not that you have no hope of mercy, but rather you, know, you have no need of mercy. Oh, on the way back uh, from holiday and from camp, uh, we came through, uh, came through London and there's a big display behind one of the stations. A uh, huge safe space and had pictures of different people uh, expressing their kind of views of life, which it's fair to say would be fairly different from a Christian understanding. Uh, and one of them had a huge some quote box next to their photo. And they said this, for me, it's about the ability to authentically and safely be my true self and have that be understood and supported by others. That's what this safe space is about, all behind King's Cross. For me, it's about the ability to be authentically and safely my true self and have that be understood and supported by others. I don't know who that person is particularly. They're just a, a quote box behind a station. But it expresses a modern attitude, doesn't it? Which is, let me be me. Who are you to tell me I need to change in any way? I, I was born this way. It's who I am. Let me express it. And that permeates our, our consciousness. Never, I mean, you'll know that much of the time that comes up in the debates about sex and gender. But actually, it permeates everything, doesn't it? Follow your heart. Be yourself. You have no need for mercy. In the context of our, our, our story, it's like someone saying to the withered hand, hey, you're just a withered hand guy. That's okay. Don't worry about it. Oh, you don't love Jesus? That's okay. Not everybody does. He's for some, but not for others. You be into what you're into. You've got a withered soul. You've no desire for God. That's okay. Don't worry about it. You do you. You follow your path. But Jesus is different again, different from the Pharisees, the old religion, different from the moderns, the new religion. He welcomes the man. Come here. He doesn't drive them away. He doesn't demand change before coming to him. He doesn't turn away in disgust. He welcomes, but he welcomes and he heals. He doesn't leave us as we are. He doesn't leave the man as he is. He welcomes us in order to forgive us and ultimately to change us. We aren't as we are. There is not a person in this room who is as they should be. We are all withered. We are all shriveled in different ways. So I don't walk up to Jesus and say, look, I've got a withered soul. Accept me as I am. I need you to accept that. No, I walk up to Jesus and say, my soul is withered. My spirit is dry. 
My heart is cold. Forgive me. And he welcomes me. There is a welcome for the withered. And it's seen in his desire. Jesus' love and desire expressed towards this man. It is the invitation we've already seen come here in verse 3. It's also in the question. Do you see that in verse 4? Jesus looks at these Pharisees and says to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm, to save life or to kill? What does Jesus want to do? He wants to do good, to save life. That is his desire. It was his desire in the, in the synagogue 2,000 years ago. It's his desire this morning sat in heaven on his throne at the Father's right hand. It's his desire as he moves among us by his spirit. It's his desire as he meets every Christian in every church across the country and down the centuries. His desire is to save life and to do good to you. So much so that he was willing to lose his life in order that you might gain yours. Do you see the opposition? Uh, They're silent in verse 4. He's angered. He does the miracle. And verse 6, look at the result. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Jesus knows what's going to happen. The result of him blessing this man is his own destruction. Him giving life means his life will be taken. And that culminates, of course, on the cross. That moment where Jesus dies, bearing all our withered souls, takes all our shriveled spiritual life to the cross and says, Father, treat me like the stone-cold Pharisee. Treat me like the Christian who has not read their Bible for months. Treat me like the hypocrite who knows what to sing on a Sunday but feels far from you. Treat me like the man who stumbled into sin time and time and time again. Treat me like them, in other words, in order that they might be treated like you treat me, welcomed with love and joy. Jesus offers a welcome for the withered. But he does more. Secondly, finally this morning, not just a welcome for the withered, but a word for the withered. Verses five and six, a word for the withered. What what do you think about verse 5, Jesus' words to the man? Children, just just think about it. Here's a man who can't do anything with his hand. In fact, the one thing we know, the one thing we know this man can't do is stretch out his hand. And what is the one thing Jesus asked him to do? Do you see verse 5? Stretch out your hand. Isn't that harsh? Of Jesus? Unfair of Jesus? It's like some, someone coming in in a wheelchair this morning and saying to them, all I want you to do is get up and dance. Just one thing. Not going to ask much. Just get up and dance. It's like saying to a, a baby, I'll feed you. All you have to do is say please. They can't do it. This man cannot stretch out his hand and yet Jesus says, stretch out your hand. What's going on? Is it mocking? Is it cruel? Well, no, of course not. Not when Jesus speaks. His word, see, this is why it's such good news. His word has the power to enable what is otherwise impossible. 
His word brings with it the power to obey, in other words. That's no surprise when we remember who Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the Word of God, as John calls him. He is the one through whom all things were created. He was there before the world began. Uh, He is the one who spoke the universe into being. And so for Jesus to say to a man with a withered hand, stretch out your hand, well, it's no trouble. Uh, This is our hope, of course. It's a hope for growth personally. It's a hope for the growth of the church. We're seeing men, women and children one to Christ. The hope is not in the power of our our preaching or or our rhetoric. It's not in the fervency of our prayers. It's not in the skill of our evangelism or the wisdom of our answers. It's not in the brilliance of our campaigns or the fame of our guest speakers. It's in the grace and the power of Christ's word to bring the dead to life, to speak and to enable the reaction. And it's your hope uh, this morning if you're dry and shriveled as a Christian. Often happens in the summer. That's one of the things I've noticed. Have you found this? People go away on holidays, and even if they were sort of going okay as in their sort of devotional life before holidays, somehow holidays throws things off. And perhaps it's for you, it's a, a new life event, something's changed significantly in life, and, and you've just found yourself getting colder and colder, cooling, like the coal taken out of the fire that just starts warm, but slowly the heat diminishes. Perhaps actually for you, it's more long term. You look back over a pattern of dryness, coldness, withering, and you can't remember even when it began. Perhaps it's a besetting sin that has never gone away. It was there before you became a Christian. It seems to be there now. And after years and years and years, you seem to have made no progress. And that has made you just slowly withdraw from Jesus. I don't want to draw near to him in prayer. I don't particularly want to draw near to him in the worship service. I'll turn up, but as much as possible, I'll sort of tune him out, go through the motions, but not try and think too much, draw too close, engage too nearly because you've got nothing to bring you think and that of course is the devil's lie you can come to Jesus after you've sorted yourself out you can approach God when you've got something to offer something to bring so the devil whispers in our ear how how can you even think about praying how can you think about praying after what you've done What do you think God's going to think if you try and draw near to him with your heart in that sort of state? How how can you worship with a cold, withered heart? Frankly, how dare you sing those songs? Time and again, whether we're Christians or not Christians, we believe the lie. I can come to Jesus only when, and then there's some sort of condition. Or rather, I can't come to Jesus until I feel sorry enough for my sin or grateful enough for the cross or repentant enough that I definitely won't ever sin again in that particular way. I can't come until I'm sure I can carry my cross and follow him wholeheartedly. I can't come to him until I'm sure I'm willing to suffer for his sake. I can't come to Jesus and put my trust in him till I'm doing it for the right reasons, 
came across that quite, um, quite recently on a, on a church's website. It explained that you can only come to Jesus, or rather it's only real when you come to Jesus, if you're doing it for his sake, not yours. It's only real if you're coming for his glory, because the whole universe is built for his glory. So unless you've come and put your faith in him for his glory's sake, it's not acceptable. That is a a horrible half-truth and therefore an even more deadly lie. Yes, the universe is built for Jesus' glory, for God's glory. But your whole problem and my whole problem is we don't seek his glory. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why we need to come to him. So to put any burden on a sinner that says you must do this before coming to Christ is exactly what fuels Jesus' anger, is to fall back into the trap of the Pharisees. Children, have you ever been to the doctors or a hospital? I imagine some of you have been taken to hospital by your mums and dads. Have you ever seen a bouncer or a security guard on the door of a hospital? Now, sometimes they do have them. Sometimes they do have them. But who are the security guards there to keep out? They're there to keep out dangerous people. They are not there to keep out sick people. Imagine going to hospital and, and the big security guard on the door saying, what's the matter with you? And you say, I've broken my arm. And he says, well, we don't want your type in here. You, you come back when your arm's fixed. Next person says, well, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of dizzy and faint. And I, well, we don't want your sort in here. You might make people ill. Go away. What if you make the doctor ill? The doctor doesn't want to waste his time with people like you with broken arms and legs and sicknesses and diseases. Keep out. Come back when you're better. No, hospitals welcome the sick, the broken. And they welcome them as sick and broken. In fact, that's the whole point of the hospital and the doctor. So should your lack of feeling, your lack of sorrow for your sin, your lack of determination to live for Jesus, your lack of desire for God, your lack of commitment to glorify him in all things, should that keep you away from Jesus? No, that's the very reason you need to go to him. Don't wait until you've got all those things sorted before you go to him. You do need to go to him. Don't mishear me here. Let's not fall back into that kind of modern religion that says, hey, it doesn't matter that you don't care about Jesus, that your soul's dry. It doesn't matter that you've no desire for him. It doesn't matter that you don't care about his glory. It does matter. That's what we should be like. We are withered. We are unhealthy. But let's not be Pharisees either and say you can't go until... You've at least begun to sort yourself out. No, Jesus welcomes the withered. And he speaks his word of healing, of salvation, to the sick, not the semi-better. It is exactly the person who Jesus welcomes. The blind, the lame, the deaf, the dumb, even the dead. And so what this passage says to us, what Jesus says to us this morning is that you can have complete confidence in the love and the grace of God. And having that confidence in the grace and the love of God, that will do everything for you. Doubting it, it's not going to help you in any way. So just come to him. Whether you're coming to him with a besetting sin, whether you're coming to him with a shriveled soul, or perhaps you're coming to him for the first time. Don't let anything hinder you. Don't think you need to prepare In any way, again, perhaps you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you've been waiting. Waiting until you feel right about it. 
Don't wait. Waiting is part of your sin. The fact you don't feel right about it is exactly your problem. Come to him, acknowledge your witheredness, and he will welcome you. He will forgive you. If you wait till you're ready, you will wait forever. You have nothing to bring. Even your ability to believe is a gift. So come to him and ask. And he never turns sinners away, whatever you've done. Christian, you're hiding from God. At some level, do you still fear him? You worry about what walking into that room will be like? Jesus looks at you as he looked at the man in the synagogue and says, come. Come with it all. Come with the mess. You must be healed, but I will heal you. You must be forgiven, but I will forgive you. And come empty-handed, without money, without price. And ultimately, that is how Jesus is glorified. His greatness is shown by the fact that we contribute nothing. It is all from him. In that sense, the more empty-handed you come, the better. Because he does everything. A welcome for the withered, a word for the withered. Whether you're here for the first time or the thousands, come to Christ and he will forgive. He will show mercy. He will heal. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, uh, we confess we are very like uh, this man with the withered hand. Some of us are very aware of areas of our life that are shriveled and are not being uh, lived in a way that glorifies you. Some of us are aware of even areas of our body that we use in ways uh, that doesn't please you. Many of us are aware of the dryness of our souls. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are so full of free love and grace and mercy, so full of compassion that you're willing to come down and be treated like a, a withered soul in order that we might receive life. And so we come to you empty again and pray for your mercy. Forgive us our sin, heal us from it as well, we ask. And allow us to rest and rejoice in your grace. All this we ask in our Saviour's name. Amen.